Coming up next on Book TV, Afterwards, an hour-long program where we invite guest hosts to interview authors. This week, the NewsHour's Jim Lehrer and his new book, Tension City, Inside the Presidential Debates, from Kennedy-Nixon to McCain-Obama. The veteran newsman and prolific writer discusses some of the more memorable moments of televised presidential debates since 1960. He shares how he developed his questions and kept them secret and reveals which he believes were better left unasked. He talks with CNN chief political analyst Gloria Borger. Welcome to Afterwards. I'm Gloria Borger of CNN, and with me is the executive editor of the NewsHour, Jim Lehrer, who's just written a fabulous book called Tension City, My View from the Middle Seat, which is going to be on your bookstands on uh, September 13th. And it's all about the presidential debates. Now, we all watch the presidential debates. Uh, some of us cover the presidential debates. But you're the only person I know who has moderated presidential debates alone. How many of them? Eleven. Eleven of them alone. And you're the man, as you say, in the middle seat at the center of that stage. You've written fiction about these debates, Mm -hmm. but you have never really told us what it's like to be in the middle of it. Why did you decide to write a nonfiction book about debates this time? Well, I thought it was time to do it. I felt that uh, 2008, I did uh, one of the Obama-McCain debates. Mm -hmm. I knew that this was probably going to be my last presidential debate. And so uh, I decided pretty much that was the case. So I started collecting my thoughts. I had taken a lot of notes through all these other, uh, the previous 10. And I realized I had some things I wanted to say that it would be hard to say if I were still about to do another debate or or right. whatever. So uh, not that I had anything, uh, uh, any scores to settle or any. any there are some wild, good stories well, in here. There's stories to settle. <laughs> stories are different. But uh, I just uh, I thought there was just time to uh, to share the thing because I really do believe so strongly in the importance of these debates and uh, I wanted to uh, share my feeling about the importance and some of the nitty gritty that. Uh, that I think is part and parcel of why they need to be handled very well. Well, talk to, talk to me a little bit about why they have become such an important part of the presidential process, because, of course, it wasn't always sure. that way. We seem to think it was, but it's not always. But not always. Yeah. Here's what has happened. Um, it is, the, the presidential debates have become the only times during a presidential campaign where the candidates, usually two, sometimes three, right. uh, are on the same stage at the same time, talking about the same things. And they, they come usually in October with the election pretty close, maybe a month or, or, or only a month or less away. The polls show that in the up in probably 90% or more of the people have already made a decision as to who the, for whom they're going to vote. But that for whom they're going to vote decision, some of them are leaning, some of them are not, and mostly what they want to do, the issues are pretty much on the table and people have decided whether they're in favor of lockboxes for Social Security or debt <laughs> ceilings or, yeah, right. Right, or whatever. All of those kinds of decisions have been made by the voters. What still remains to be seen and understood and decided upon, do I like this person? Is, is this person as a person come over as somebody, forget what the issues are. What if there's a crisis? What if there's something uh, similar Katrina? What if there's another 9-11? What if there is some major catastrophe or crisis happens? What do you, how do you feel about this person? Well, and it, that's why it's important. Well, it, it, it's interesting you call the book Tension City. Yeah. Uh, because, of course, it is. These candidates have to make people like them, essentially, exactly is, what, right. is what you're saying. And uh, you spoke with uh, Bush 41, right. George H.W. Bush, who said uh, to you that the debates are, quote, ugly. I don't like them. Why? Why did he say that? He felt, he feels very strongly that uh, it's all showbiz. It's, uh, in other words, he, for instance, one debate, uh, it was a three-person debate with Bill Clinton and uh, Ross Perot. Mm -hmm. When he looked at his watch. (laughs) Famous uh, moment. Famous moment. And he said, yeah, okay, so I looked at my watch. And so they're all over me. 
You know, it doesn't have anything to do with issues. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, whatever. And then, but then he said in the interview with me, he said, "Well, I said, well, were you, were you, why were you looking at your watch?" And he said, "Well, was I looking at my watch because uh, this thing was boring me?" Yeah, I was looking to see whether <laughs> when this thing was going to be over. But see, those kinds of things uh, to the audience are saying, you know, it, it leaves an impression, and it, it's 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 an it's a language it's a language impression, but it's a body language impression rather than a spoken word impression. So uh, and and so from uh, George H. W. Bush's point of view, he just thinks it's ridiculous for to have so much writing. On these three, two, three, ninety-minute uh, exchanges in a presidential debate, so he thinks. You know, his son, though, as you point out in the book, feels exactly the opposite. Absolutely, he thinks it's terrific. He thinks that, and uh, he and Bill Clinton said exactly the same thing in different words, that they feel that it makes them better can not only better candidates but better presidents because it forces them finally, in those last few weeks right. before the election to be able not only to decide what they really believe, but to be able to articulate it. So uh, they, they see it all in a positive way, uh, both George, Bush, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton. You, you wrote that, and I'm going to quote your book yep. here, each participant remembers a debate performance through the prism, emotional as well as political. I, is there any debate performance, either of theirs or yours, <laughs> that, that sort of sticks out in, in your mind? Uh, well, where you were sitting. Sure, sure. Here's the, the one of the problems by sitting so close. Yeah. And re- remember, it's all about television. This is this is for the millions and millions of people who are watching on television. It isn't. It isn't a studio program. This is not a pep rally for the for the opposing candidates yep. or any of that. And it's not even an interview program. It's not even. It's not the it, the ability. The, the 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 purpose of the debate is not to show how terrific. The moderator is how much and, you know, how right? much I know, and exactly <laughs> how quick uh, the he or she is in responding, and all of that. And and I, for instance, in the, the to answer your question specifically, the one I remember more than any other um, was the first Al Gore George W. Bush debate. It was in Boston, two thousand. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sitting like where right where I am now, and uh, uh, Bush was to my right. And Gore was to my left, very close. And, in fact, I was the closest person to them, obviously. And uh, I have a rule that when uh, – and I would, I would suggest this to anybody who moderates any kind of debate. Keep your eye on the person who's talking, not on the person who's reacting. Because if you watch the person who's reacting, you can get, body, you can get eye contact. You can right. distort the reaction. Oh, by so at any rate, to make a long story short, I would ask a question of – Bush, and Bush would be giving an answer, and Gore would started sighing, oh, and you remember that you know he got going like that. Well, that hurt him terribly uh, because the public saw that because they had split screen uh, coverage right. then, and uh, but when it was all over, I'm walking out of the hall with my family, and one of my daughters says, "Oh, Dad, that was that was incredible what Gore did." I stopped and I said, "What did Gore do?" And she started mentioned about the uh, the sign and grimacing and all of that, and I didn't see any of that. But it was a perfect case. People who listened to that on the radio thought Gore won that debate hands-on. People who watched it on television thought... Kennedy-Nixon? Didn't, Kennedy, that, didn't Nixon, that happen the same Ken- way? Exactly. Kennedy-Nixon. It's exactly the same uh, parallel. You, you raised an interesting point about your role as a moderator. We see you on the news hour all the time uh, as an interviewer. And I'd love you to talk a little bit more about the difference uh, between the role of the, the interviewer we see you as on the news hour, trying to make some news, trying to get some news, uh, versus the role of the person sitting in that middle seat in a presidential uh, debate. Because I, I think people, it's a, it's a yeah. distinction that people need to sort of understand, perhaps. I agree. It's very, I see them as two very different mm-hmm. functions. Uh, in let's say you'd have candidate A and candidate B on the news hour, and I was running a discussion. I would I would follow up, introduce new subjects. You know, hey, what do you think about this? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, but in a presidential debate, I have I also have my own little uh, 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 patterns that I have developed. I made to make the decision, rightly or wrongly that I am not going to introduce a whole new subject out of the blue at a presidential debate. It's not, this, is, this, this campaign has been going on for a year or more. 
that public has heard all of this, and I, it'd be very easy to sit there in front of 90 million people and ask some question off the wall, embarrass the candidates, but for what point? What purpose? And so uh, uh, that's number one rule. The, another, the other rule is you, you have to make sure that everything is perceived as being absolutely 100% fair. It doesn't mean that it has to be fair. It has to be perceived as fair. You can run a, a discussion uh, on, on, a, on a regular television news broadcast, like, say, the News Hour, and uh, everything, you know, the clock is this and the timing, timing is right and whatever, but if it's not for some reason uh, you weren't, fair to ide- mm-hmm. to, weren't perceived as being fair to ideas as well as to the people, you can, uh, you can blow the whole deal. With a presidential debate, it is, it, it is always, I always have to remind myself, and I do this all the time, say, first of all, this is not about me. Right. I already have the best job in television journalism. I'm not auditioning for a better job. I'm not running for anything. If people are talking about my questions, even favorably when it's over with, I have failed because right. it isn't about the questions. It's about the answers. And what you want to do is facilitate the exchange among or between the candidates, not between me and them. And it's all a state of mind. And it's just the opposite when you're running. So you have uh, to kind of uh, change your muscle memory to a certain exactly, degree. Exactly. Degree. You, have to, you, have to, uh, you have to know why you're there. If you know why you're there and you made a decision to stay with that, then it's not difficult. If you're fighting it all the time and somebody, it would be very easy. I mean, and I say this in the book, it'd be very easy for some moderator, particularly in the, in the way it is now, single moderator format. I mean, you could just drop hand grenades right and left. You could, you could make a name for yourself. Right. You could be, you could, everybody could be talking about Billy Bob, the great moderator. Oh, boy, he really, he really leveled Wawa right. and, uh, you know, all that <laughs> sort of stuff. And look at, look, look at, and, and it's a temptation that must be overcome uh, by everybody involved. Okay, so this leads me to uh, the, a pa- before you did the single moderating, yeah. there were group panels. Right. And there's a famous question. Yeah. That Bernie Shaw of CNN uh, that, uh, asked, which is now referred to in your book as the killer question. I think you were quoting That's somebody right. who, who referred to it. Maybe right. Jules Whitcover. Jules Whitcover okay. and, and uh, Jack Germond. Germond, yeah. right. Called it the killer question. Can, can you talk about what that was? And Well, the exact words, uh, uh, I can't quote off the top of my head, right. but essentially it was uh, gov- it was the first question in the debate. Number one. Number one oh. question. And he said, uh, Governor... This uh, is Dukakis. To Dukakis. Uh, right. And, and, uh, the, and the, uh, this was uh, in, uh, in 1988 okay. against uh, George H.W. Bush. And he said, uh, Governor, if Kitty Dukakis were raped and murdered, would you be in favor of uh, the death penalty for the, uh, the perpetrator? And... Uh, That's a question. Dukakis... Um, uh, we'll take it one step at a time. That was the question that, that Bernie Shaw decided to ask. And then there was a at that time there were there there was a there was a moderator and three panelists. They had a meeting. The, the three panelists and and Bernie, uh, the day of the debate and kind of went went over their questions, how they were going to do things and whatever. And it's a long involved story. But but uh, the, the the three other panelists. Uh, Margaret Warner, who was then with, uh, I think was was with uh, Newsweek, Newsweek yeah. uh, of course now with uh, with the PBS NewsHour, Andrea Mitchell, who was with NBC News, and um, uh, Ann Compton, who was with ABC mm-hmm. News. Um, they, the three panelists, three women, said to Bernie, "Hey, wait a minute, uh, rethink that question." They tried to talk him out of it, and uh, and and put, at least not use her name. That they thought, uh, and and Bernie was adamant, and he was going to ask the question, and he asked the question, and uh, I, I, uh, in just doing some reporting, old-fashioned reporting about the the meeting and how it all came about, discovered that there is uh, the, the there were some hard feelings that exist to this day about um, the, the fact that these three panelists tried to talk him out of asking the question in the first place, and there's some back talk about whether somebody knew the question ahead of time mm-hmm. and the word leaked out. There's no evidence that it did leak out, uh, but at any rate, it, it left, uh, and I'll tell you what, and I say it in the book, that it's a good lesson for all of us in journalism, 
uh, including the two of us, Gloria, that all of the frailties of, of, of humankind exist uh, among journalists as they do among politicians and lawyers and preachers and, and bus drivers and everybody else. And in this case, there was an honest, I believe, honest um, uh, disagreement mm-hmm. over what each one mm-hmm. heard. Mm-hmm. And what each one believed, and that there are there was no there weren't any good guys and bad guys here, but it was just a reminder. Just remember that uh, we can all see things differently, very honestly. Well, and, and it's interesting because you write in the book that in the end, Michael Dukakis didn't seem to object to the question, uh, uh, right? At, right. Afterwards, but it did. Viewers did. Look at it and say it told them something about Michael Dukakis. Exactly. So, see that's where that's the double-edged sword, here. right? Because Dukakis's answer, remember, was, "Well, I've always been opposed to uh, capital punishment," and he, and he gave a little essay on capital punishment, and everybody was expecting some kind of emotional thing. My God, they're talking about killing, raping, and murdering my wife, and uh, he didn't he didn't see it that way. He didn't he didn't react that way, and it hurt him terribly. In fact. And I say this in the book as well. David Broder, the dean of uh, political reporters, the late David Broder, um, uh, died recently. But at, at the time, it was the political editor for the uh, Washington Post, said to Ann Compton after that, the election's over. Uh, there's no way Dukakis is going to come back from that. And it turned out, uh, now Dukakis himself, because I asked Dukakis right. about this, and Dukakis uh, Okay, hey, everybody makes mistakes, but he said, I listened back, I listened, uh, I watched that tape and listened to myself again, he said, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't think it was that bad. And he said, uh, I did it in a context, we'd been talking about capital punishment, I've been talking about capital punishment all my professional political life, it just seemed like I just gave a route to my regular answer, and I just missed the, the emotional thing. Of course, George H.W. Bush said, my God, if he'd been asked that question, uh, he would have been screaming, I'd grab that guy and killed him with right. my bare hands, you know, something like that. And that's what... And Kitty the, Dukakis, by the way, is sitting in the audience yes. when this question gets asked. Yeah, and there's this asked. huge uh, gulp, uh, <gasps> sigh in the audience, my God. And everybody who watched it on television felt the same way. But, but you see, your point is, and that's why it's a double-edged sword, it, it, uh, it, it, and, and you could... A lot of people criticize Bernie Shaw for asking the question. However, the question revealed an awful lot about Michael Dukakis. And uh, if Dukakis had reacted differently, uh, it could have changed. I don't know if it had changed the end result of the election, but it certainly would have changed the perception of the man. Well, it's also one of those questions. I mean, these candidates go through huge amounts of prep work for these debates. There's no way that one of uh, his advisors would have said, what if somebody asked you this question? So he could have prepared sort of a canned answer for it, right? There's lots of canned answers you hear. A lot of, yeah, they work on those. Sure. Well, and and that leads me to one which is um, in the Benson Mm -hmm. Quayle vice presidential debate where, of course, Lloyd Benson comes up with one of the lines that we will remember for all time when uh, Dan Quayle mentioned Jack Kennedy, as he had done on the campaign trail. And he had a line saying, I knew Jack Kennedy, Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine, and you're no Jack Kennedy. Now, there's some dispute about whether that was a prepared line. Sure sounded like one to me. What's your... Well, it sure (laughs) sounded that way to me. Uh, Unfortunately, I was not able to talk to Lloyd Benson because Lloyd Benson was ill by the time I got around to it. And uh, But but in, in, in public statements that he made to reporters after the debate when he was asked whether or not that was a prepared line, he said, no, 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 it just came to me. However... Uh, some of the folks around Benson later said, well, we had heard him say this before. In other words, we had heard uh, uh, Quayle say something about John F. Kennedy before, that, about the experience mm-hmm. thing. That was mm-hmm. the point that, that, uh, uh, that Quayle had more experience uh, uh, in, the, in Congress and in government than John F. Kennedy did when he was elected president. And so they were they were kind they were ready for this, and uh, I, I think we just have to leave it to uh, here again to um, uh, uh, two different views of what happened. Talk a, a little bit about um, the negotiations that go into, and I know you're not a part of them, but yeah. you clearly know about them. Um, the candidates just don't show up 
at the podium and get ready to debate. It is an, a grueling really process is. that their campaigns go through, like a like peace talks. Absolutely, and it's and and the the thing that everybody has to remember is that the negotiations are by two groups of people, one with the the only one purpose, and that is to make his or her candidate uh, have an advantage over the other candidate. And everybody on the other side is doing the same thing for his or her. They couldn't care less about whether or not this is fair or whether or not this or that or whatever. They, If they think it will help the candidate to be seated, I, we will we will negotiate best we can to have the have the uh, debate seated. If they think it would be make if our guy is too uh, uh, short compared to the other, you know they they work uh, they on for Dukakis for instance against George H. George H. W. Bush, tall man. Michael Dukakis not so tall. So they had a, they lifted the uh, the the space right behind the podium, uh, so Michael Dukakis wouldn't look uh, as short compared to George H.W. Bush, and all of that was negotiated. One of the candidates, uh, some of these candidates sweat a lot more than other people. Some people sweat more than other people. We all know that. That's right. Just, yeah. Well, if the people who sweat always want the temperature to be 30 degrees. They negotiate the temperature. And they negotiate the temperature. And, 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 and it's all, and for instance, the formats. Well, that's... The formats. Bob Dole, I remember the Bob Dole negotiations. Bob Dole is a man who, who talks in bursts and uh, one-liners, and uh, mm-hmm. he never talked for more than about two and a half minutes. So his negotiators wanted, were willing to give up anything in order for those answers to be only two, never more than two and a half minutes long. So, of course, and of course against Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton could talk for two and a half <laughs> hours on any given question. So, so, but in order to get that, uh, Clinton also wanted a town hall thing. So in order, they, they swapped, their negotiators swapped. They uh, uh, Dole got what he wanted, which was short answers on some of the debates, and uh, 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 in exchange for Clinton's people getting what Clinton wanted, which was a town hall debate for the first, uh, for the first time. And, and, and everything, everything about where, what the size of the holding rooms are, uh, everything about it is negotiated. Uh, including the moderator. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that may, as, as you sort of posit, that may be why they ended up with a single moderator because they couldn't agree on anybody other, on anybody other than you. It, it, it was, I, I, this is not false modesty. <laughs> it's yeah. just the truth that yeah. uh, a couple of times that I ended up de- uh, moderating uh, debates is because they could not agree on anybody else. And they could agree on me, and they finally just threw up their hands. Because politically this person yeah, uh, yeah. had said some things. That said they whatever, yeah. or, right. or they were looking for an advantage. And they're always looking for an advantage. And they thought, one side thought, well, uh, this would be a disadvantage, this person, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a legitimate reason. Just be, you know, it's almost like a, in a jury, uh, Vordari thing, you know, yeah. you just arbitrarily say, juror number seven out of here. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. And in, and in my case, it, it, I, there were just fewer objections to me rather than a, a positive <laughs> feeling. That's all, all I can say. Well, how do you prepare when, okay, so you're now a single moderator, mm-hmm. and this is a great weight on your shoulders. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, you can't, Tension City is kind of uh, small compared to what, you, what you're going through as that moderator. Um, how do you wall yourself off and figure out what it is you're going to ask? I mean, there may be a foreign policy debate, there may be a domestic policy debate, there may be a town hall, which is a different format, but how do you sort of sit there and say, what are the questions that the people in the United States need to hear about? I mean, yeah. that's all up to you. Well, that's, you know, you, you, you got it. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. And um, fortunately, um, working, in a, uh, working with the, uh, my colleagues in the News Hour, who are terrific uh, professionals, I always begin with them and say, okay, help me out here. Give me right. some suggestions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I do an awful lot of reading and do all that stuff. And uh, then about, it, it can depend on the timing, but there comes a time when I don't talk to anybody else. And I don't, I have no more conversations with anybody. Except your wife. Except my wife at the very <laughs> end. 
because, um, you know, knowledge is everything. Yeah. And uh, I don't want anybody on our staff to have to lie to somebody. Somebody say, hey, is, is you think Larry's going to ask a question about, fill, you know, uh, fill in the blank? And I, Did you ever I get called by a campaign asking you? No, 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 no. Uh, never, not, not like that, no. But it would be, think what, what, how helpful that would be if, you're, if a campaign could find out ahead of time what the questions were going to be, or even a hint of one or two questions, mm-hmm. anything like that. So I want to make sure, in my case, I want to make sure that that is impossible. Because if I don't say anything to anybody about what my question, anybody, period, about what my questions are going to be, Nobody there's no can. way for anybody to find out. And and as you say, my wife, what I do is, uh, what I've done is uh, wait literally to the very last day and then go through them with Kate, my wife. And uh, that's it. And she uh, she she tests them for apples and oranges and 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 all. Well, those. explain what you mean by that. Well, if you're you, apples and oranges, if you if you got to ask if you're going to ask candidate A an apple, you got to ask candidate B an apple. You can't ask one an apple to one and an orange to another. In other words, they've got to the questions have to be perceived as quote equal in terms of intensity, in terms nice. of of aggressive, whatever it is. If you've asked a really pointed question that has to do with a personal characteristic, you have to have a matching question, at least one that is perceived to be as tough as as the other one uh, of, of the other candidate. And uh, and all of that is uh, is really hard because um, the uh, it, as I say the 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 perceptions uh, for the candidates mm-hmm. uh, are critical, but it's also critical for the moderator because and the whole process it's not just about the moderator when it's all said and done what i want and what everybody should want is that hey that was a fruitful honest exchange of ideas mm-hmm. among the one or two or three people uh it would be two or three who is going to be president who is going to be president of the united right. states mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about and everybody who's connected with it um has to keep that always in mind and uh it's that's all it is and all it is meaning the single most and can be the single most important public event of the campaign. Well, let's talk about the three. Okay. Because that's a whole different dynamic uh, there. That you, So we have Bush, Clinton, Ross Perot, right? Right. Um, tell us about uh, Perot and how he changed the dynamic. Uh, well, he, uh, of course, he changed the dynamic of the election period. Totally. Because he... Uh, uh, he, he he rocketed really quickly into mm-hmm. the polls, up mm-hmm. into the polls, mm-hmm. and um, but he um, what he because he was not a uh, the the Democratic and Republican parties actually run the debate commission. In other words, it was mm-hmm. formed by mm-hmm. the two parties. Ross Perot, as an independent candidate, had no part to play in deciding when there were going to be debates, what kind of formats they were. He was invited in after he went to a certain, uh, there's a, there, there's a, the, the debate commission has a criteria mm-hmm. so much, so high, if you're so high in the polls, you get to be in the debate. And um, the, uh, the, the thing with Perot, it was, it was fascinating for me, uh, uh, moderating his, de- a couple of his debates, because he, he came in determined not to attack either he, he was not going to attack Clinton or Bush under any circumstance. He was going to talk only about what his ideas were. And um, he, every time I tried to get him to criticize uh, Clinton, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't take the bait. And, uh, but he was very conscious of the rules, very conscious of timing. And uh, every once in a while, he, uh, uh, I was afraid he was in one debate, he was going to say, he was going to stop me, hey, hey, Jim. Uh, uh, you're not being fair. You're not giving me enough time. And I, 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 I have to. There, I use some body language to uh, mm-hmm. say it's going to be okay, Ross. Give me, give me another minute here. Everything's going to be fine, and everything was. But it, but the, what, more, per, more juggling, though, more right? juggling, yeah. and and it, it is, uh, and with when you had the, it, it was just really that was a. I did the the. Uh, one of those was half with panelists and half solo moderator. The, the, my, the first uh, part of that, 45 minutes, was the most difficult 45 minutes and the shortest 45 minutes of my life because it was, the, and there were no rules. 
we were experimenting. They were experimenting. The uh, debate commission and the candidates agreed. So first question, boom, boom, boom. And I had to make sure that uh, not by time clock. You didn't have clocks. They didn't, not, not for that no. first 45 minutes. Oh. So it was all how I perceived it. And people were counting the time and telling me in my ear. But, uh, but there, was not, not, there, there was nothing that could be done about it. Here again, there was a case that when that 45 minutes was over, uh, I only had one, one thought in my head. Was it perceived as being fair to all three of those guys? And it was. So I, as far as I was concerned, I was in high cotton, as they say. Right. <laughs> so people don't, you know, don't understand that when you were doing this, there were people talking in your ear saying, well, maybe you need to give Perot another minute or... They would not, they, they would, all they would say is, the timing is uh, Clinton up to... Uh, over Bush, uh, one over. Uh, that's all they'd say. The, the the these folks are real pros, and and uh, those of us who've done a lot of live television, mm-hmm. they all know you speak very quickly, and you get used to the voices, yep. and and they didn't. No, nobody wastes any words, and but that's all they're saying. Nobody ever talks editorially. Nobody's ever said anything editorially to me in my ear about well, it. In a it by 1996, you were solo. Yeah. That was when you first started being solo. And um, one of the things that was so interesting to me in the book was in talking about uh, that year, not uh, Bob Dole nor Jack Kemp, his vice presidential candidate, uh, went after Bill Clinton on the so-called character issue, which yeah. was sort of stunning to me to kind of look back on that because is that almost impossible to imagine today? I mean, I you, you even asked a question that would have, because it was germane and relevant and important in the campaign, but how did that go, and, and did it surprise you? It surprised me. I thought that the Jennifer, this was long before Monica Lewinsky, but the Jennifer Flowers right. case had already come out, and there had been all kinds of stuff. And uh, I just assumed that it would be brought up by Dole. And, um, and I asked, you know, a couple of questions uh, that he could have taken with, and he didn't. He didn't run with it. So, at about twenty minutes in or so, uh, maybe it was longer than that. Uh, I finally said, uh, Senator Dole, is there anything about President uh, uh, Clinton's uh, character that you think is relevant to whether or not he should be reelected president? Right. And Dole made a joke out of it. He said, "Well, he's shorter than I am, or taller than I am, or I don't remember something like that." And he just completely dodged the question. And, um, of course, then he was caught. I mean, I mean the Republican uh, supporters were all over him afterward. Right. And then the next debate was Jack Kemp and Al Gore. So I, everybody assumed, and every pundit in the world wrote, that, oh, well, Kemp will take it, take it on. And uh, so I immediately... Uh, got in, tried to get Kemp to say it. Kemp, Kemp would not say it. No, we're, and Kemp, in fact, said something to the effect, we're not here to talk about uh, people's uh, character. We're here to talk about issues. And that was the end of the character issue. But then he said to you he misunderstood the question, right? Yeah, later right? he said that. Because <laughs> he, he had gotten that. a lot of criticism. He, got a lot, he, he, took, he took a lot of heat for that. And uh, he, uh, But he also said, uh, in fact, both of them said to me afterward, uh, long afterward for mm-hmm. interviewing for this book and for this documentary we did, they have no regrets about that. I mean, they yeah. both were the kinds of politicians who were uncomfortable talking about this stuff. And also, what I did not know then was that the Washington Post and other news organizations were working on a story about a, uh, a, an, a illicit, I guess is the word, affair that Bob Dole was having. Uh, he had, not then, but he had for many, many years... Yeah. Um, uh, with a single woman, um, and uh, and and the Dole camp knew that. Dole knew that the Post was working on the story and all of that, and uh, it could be that that kept him from. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, that they decided not to open up that can of worms because the Post might have come with a story. Even though the story, I say that uh, he he was long uh, uh, estranged with it from from his wife. The affair he was having was with a single woman. And it was gone, long gone, it was years before. But it uh, it, it might have affected um, uh, Dole and uh, and and thus Kemp and how they answered the question. If you fast forward to today's 
political environment with the way we're so polarized, et cetera. Do you think, even given the facts you now know about Dole, do, do you think that uh, question would be answered d- differently in today's, or is that too yeah. hypothetical to answer? You know, I, Gloria, I, I think that that uh, it all depends on the candidates. Uh, I think that in if we had a similar situation, trying to recreate right. what it was like in 1996, what what we knew, I think the 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 womanizing issue, to use it specifically, right. was certainly in the wind. Had been written about, had been reported about in the mainstream media, as they call it, and. Uh, it, it it seemed to me, I, I can't imagine not being asked uh, in this in this world uh, in very graphic terms. I th- I, it's just I just think it would be I think in I think in a legitimate probably. If we knew about John Edwards, for example, yes, now yes. and he were in a yes, absolutely vice presidential debate. Absolutely right. I think uh, uh, and but when you think I hadn't thought of it, but when you until you raised this, but if knowing what we knew even then about the Jennifer Flowers case. Right. And for him not to be asked about it, and I didn't ask about it either. I mean, I gave, I mean, I gave him ways to get to it. I gave Dole very way artful. To, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I think in, the, in today's world, uh, that would have come up. Yeah, You're right. definitely. And and then I guess the, the the question is when you when you ask questions, either whether it's alluding to character, or whether it's about Medicare, Social Security, whatever. People are watching these debates. And they want to see if the candidate's the real deal. That's it. You got it. So is there – talk a little bit about that and some moments maybe where you thought that's not the real deal. It, it doesn't look good. Maybe it was the sighing moment for – or moments Sad. for Al Gore or whether people – candidates can sound too canned and too prepped and – I think that's where most of the candidates, not all of them, but most of them, when they, of, the, of the mistakes they make, yeah. most of them are of the canned variety. I would, my advice to anybody who's involved in any kind of debate or even an interview, first thing you do, no matter what else you do, you answer the question. <laughs> Good idea. Say, yeah. Are you in favor <laughs> of a lockbox for Social Security? Yes. Then you tell them why. You don't start with, well, Social Security, remember, you know, so forth and so on. I remember an example in a, in a, in a Bush-Gore uh, debate where um, uh, one of them was asked, it was a town hall meeting in, in St. Louis, and I knew the question was coming because I had gone through them beforehand, you know, with the, with the, with the questioners. And this woman asked... Uh, uh, I think I can't remember now which was Gore or Bush because they both handled it exactly poorly, uh, <laughs> the same way. The question was, what do you have to say to to the young people about our country right now? And the answer was a canned answer about Social Security. In other words, the opportunity was there for somebody, for either one of those guys, to say, well, you know, anything, you know about the opportunities that exist in our country today and you know you could tear you could have teared them up you know <laughs> but instead when in doubt go to the can and uh i i think they make a terrible mistake doing that uh uh ronald reagan said in in, in, my, in the interview i had with him about his his first debate where he thought he did so poorly he said he had all these people and they were you know giving him all these briefings and telling him what to say and all of that and and he did so poorly because of that. He was trying to think of what he was, what answer he was supposed to give, and uh, and he, he got upset about that afterward, and uh, he quit doing it. And the next, and he debate, came out of it pretty well. Came out of it pretty well. Yes, indeed, he did. And uh, these these candidates uh, also they listen to the consultants too much. You know, I mean, the consultants are not running for president. The consultants are not the people with all the great knowledge. The the person who's running for president is the person standing up there. And he or she should be able to handle him or herself on some of the key issues. And just be honest with people. If you don't know the exact answer, you can say, look, I haven't, I, I haven't checked that out. But my, you know, just be straight with people. And the candor, I think, would, would change the nature of um, uh, the way people would be. I think candor would go on the, suddenly go on the list as a desirable trait 
to have as people running for president. Or the, the appearance States. of candor, appearance you know, of because candor. it is television after all. Oh, it all. is. So, absolutely right. So, you know, Ronald Reagan, you, you, you point out, got all mixed up on answers that he that he yeah. gave when he was over prepped. And then he had a couple of good zingers. Uh, the next time uh, and managed to do very well because, by the way, he was also good at television. Absolutely and that's right. another. Absolutely Bob right. Dole, not so good at television. Anyway. And that, you know, the, the, uh, a lot of people have said that. Oh, oh well, I mean, Reagan was, uh, was just great at television. He was an actor mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it or not, any president of the United States has to be able to communicate on television. Mm-hmm. That that is like being thirty five year at least 30, be thirty five years old. That is a qualification. Right. You can have the greatest ideas in the world, and if you can't, and you've got you want to get the American people to rise up and uh, go to war, or not go to war, or rise up and uh, and uh, raise the debt ceiling, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you have to be able to make the case on television. You have to look at a, be able to look at a television camera, and people have to start nodding. Yes, you're right, Mr. President, you're right. And that is a qualification for office, whether anybody likes it or not. Well, you know, that, that makes me think about the 2008 yeah. debates not so long ago, um, because there seemed to be such a difference between John McCain, who has been in public life for quite a long time, and his skills uh, in front of the camera, versus Barack Obama. Do you take that into consideration somehow when you think of your questions, or do you? No. No, 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 no. Um, In that case, uh, McCain-Obama, and I moderated the first of those debates, which was at... uh, Oxford, Mississippi, University right. of Mississippi. And that almost didn't happen. We'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, almost didn't happen. <laughs> but the issue there was body language, and uh, it was not exactly sign the gore way, but, but you may remember I tried my best to get McCain to look. Look. Yeah, yeah, to look at Obama and to address him directly because they had negotiated a set of rules which made that possible. Before, it was you, you were not allowed to question either, each other, but this was a new deal, and the, <clears throat> the debate commission, you know, was interested in that, and I said, well, I will make sure that gets done and all that sort of stuff. I thought it would be terrific. McCain wouldn't do it, and, uh, and I kept doing it. Finally, McCain said, You're, you, you think they're not hearing me? You think he doesn't hear me or something like that? And, he, you know, he got a little annoyed with my mm-hmm. uh, doing it, and so I backed off and quit doing it. I mean, the point had been made. And here again, that was a negative for, I, I think, in fact, you, you don't have to use me as a source here or as a pundit, but uh, 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 Dan Baltz and uh, Haynes Johnson in their book mm-hmm. uh, believe that that had a tremendous influence on the outcome of the election because when that first debate began, they were neck and neck, a little bit of the advantage to McCain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obama took took the lead in the, in the polls after that, and one of the reasons is the people said, well, he came over as angry and fidgety and rigid, and uh, he never, ever, ever recovered from that. And Well, you also write about sort of the threshold that a presidential candidate needs to cross, mm. like he's ready or she's ready, and that uh, for Barack Obama that may, in fact, have been a, a threshold, but talk about that a little bit about a, a candidate. Kind of, people are looking them yeah. eye to eye on their television sets. That's the key to the whole thing. In, in Obama's case, the the issue out there, spoken and unspoken, was: Is this guy really ready to be president? Mm-hmm. Is he cool enough? Is he going to be cool enough under pressure? Can he really handle himself? And up till that point, up until the first debate, people have seen these candidates in their own settings, uh, right. political events, uh, staged events by, by, by their own campaigns mm-hmm. and whatever. All right, now, how's Obama going to handle himself against John McCain? Right. Now, we're, now we're in the big leagues, and let's see. Well, Obama presented himself as somebody who was calm and cool and, and much lighter uh, and confident, the other thing was, did he have the confidence uh, that it took to be president? And all of those things he demonstrated as much with body language, here again, as he did with words. And at, at the same time, 
John McCain, on the other hand, was demonstrating because uh, the bad rap on him was that he was he got angry and and he was fidgety and he was this and Temper. that. Well, he proved yeah. that. See, he proved the he proved a negative, and in Bush in uh, Obama's case, he proved a positive. And but here again, right. very subtly. And it had nothing to do, because neither one, I'm, I'm sure nobody remembers this, I barely remember it myself, neither one would answer any of my questions directly about what to do about the financial crisis. I kind of remember that, actually. You no, know, I just kept asking, well, you, well, were you in favor of the, this? Well, blah, 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 and each one would answer it from a different point of view, but they never would say. So the, it, it, there was no content difference, really, between them. Uh, it was all about uh, uh, body language difference. Well, let's set the scene for that, because, of course, it was in the middle of the financial crisis. Right. John McCain suspended his campaign, if I recall, right. and uh, there was a question, actually, about whether you were going to have that first debate. That's right. So what did you guys do over at the well, debate commission? And Well, the um, the um, they, what McCain wanted was the, the debate to be postponed. And Obama said, I'm coming to Oxford, Mississippi. We're going to have a debate. So it was a kind of a blinking kind of thing. Uh, the uh, debate commission folks uh, said to me, because we I, I was already in Oxford and when, when, the, when, we, uh, when all of this happened, and um, the debate commission said, well, we're, we're preparing for a debate. There will be a debate one way or another, uh, and to, unless, you know, we're told something, you know, something else happens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was approached by some folks through, inter- through intermediaries. I was approached by some people from the University of Mississippi. They'd spent millions of dollars preparing for this debate. Sure. It was a big deal for the state of Mississippi and the university Absolutely. and all of that. And they asked me if I would moderate an event just with Obama. If, in other words, if McCain didn't come, uh, maybe using students and run a town hall thing. And I said, well, I have to think <laughs> about that because uh, let's say they did delay the debate uh, for a week or so. I mean, in other words, it was all, and, and I had a lot of conversations uh, about, you know, kind of what we would do and, and whatever. But I realized in my case, um, I didn't, I fortunately at the last minute, I mean, literally at the last minute, uh, McCain uh, decided to come, and that was the morning of the debate. That's, he didn't decide to come until the so morning. So you're preparing the, all your I'm questions. I'm preparing for everything. As, and I had as, just as, left the other issue aside. How do you was, do that? Compartmentalize, right? How do you do that when you've got this huge story going on outside yeah, well, and inside your hotel room? Right, you're sitting and doing these questions. Well, it's uh, it's the nature of the beast, and. Uh, I um, I decided that you know the other the other thing about all these things, Gloria, is that if it's possible, try to always worry about the things that you have control over and not those that. But you that's do hard. Not. Oh, very much so. But I decided I was not going to prepare for a one-on-one thing with Barack Obama because I hadn't agreed to do that, and that thing was still. I didn't know what was going to happen. I just kind I just went on preparing as if we were going to have a debate the regular way. Now, the issue here was my first subject, I was supposed to do um, uh, uh, foreign policy and national security, and Bob Schieffer was going to do the second, Mm -hmm. he was going to do domestic. And I called Schieffer, who's who's my friend, and I said, Schieffer, by the way, just for the record, uh, as of right now, uh, the financial crisis is a national security and foreign policy <laughs> issue. And, uh, and I told the debate commissions they could tell the candidates, and I explained that at the beginning. I didn't have to. I, in, in retrospect, I, I, didn't, I wasted some time. I explained at the beginning of the debate that, uh, that, that this really was important enough to talk about in the first debate. But um, anyhow, it went, off, uh, it went off exactly on time, and... and uh, but it was uh, it was it was hairy. There's no question about it. These things are. I compare it in the book to uh, the debates themselves and the whole experience. To, uh, from my point of view, about like walking down the blade of a very sharp knife. Right. Anything can go wrong, and you can get cut. And uh, it's uh, and I think that everybody who's involved in these uh, feels the same way. You know, you wrote about debates in which things went horribly wrong. Uh, you know, 27 minute. Uh, uh, 
no sound, right? right. Uh, with uh, who, Jimmy Carter, Jimmy was Carter it? and Gerald, Gerald Ford. Ford, where they just stood on the stage for 27 minutes and said nothing to each other, which is kind of remarkable really when, you, when you think about it. Um, was there any time in your debates uh, uh, where you were sort of panicked inside and thought, oh, my God, this isn't going to come off? You mean the uh, the content itself, or or or, or the uh, yeah the content, or work. the logistic yeah or something that gonna, so, something was sort of got out of control, or I know there there were other debates that kind of got out of control, but yeah, um, I uh, uh, no there wasn't any time where I thought things were going to were going to be out of control. There were there were many times when I was disappointed that I was unable uh-huh. to um, use the rules in such a way to ask the, the, the follow-ups that I thought should be asked. And uh, I, work, I always work very hard to uh, I make damn sure that I stay within the rules, but I also work very hard to use the rules in ways that, that so there can be a flow to it. That you're Do you not... have input into the rules, or is it just no. the campaign's negotiating? So they you're negotiate, handed... they give you the, role, the rules, and they say, Are you, we, we hereby invite you to moderate uh, debate so-and-so, Will you? Uh, are you interested? Will you do this? And will you in- agree to enforce these rules? And so, what's the best format? As you think about it, the best back. format. Uh, the best format is a, a is a loose format, um, and we had a fairly loose one in uh, in Oxford. In that case, there were nine minutes where you could talk about a question and back and forth and all mm-hmm. of that, and it wasn't it wasn't so. Uh, uh, limiting. I th- I think that a wide open format is uh, is is too much of a good thing. You really could lose control of it, and you could you could uh, you would play the to the strengths of the if if some both of them are very good uh, communicators, but one's a slightly better communicator. That uh, you would give an edge to that that mm-hmm. one if you open it up completely. In other words, with no rules at all, mm-hmm. and they asked each other questions, and you played played kind of uh, uh, as ringmaster, but not as moderator, um, I think that would... Uh, so, so anyhow, my, my idea would be, good evening, here we are, here's candidate A and candidate B. We're going to talk about foreign policy. And the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, uh, the troops in Afghanistan uh, and the withdrawal of the troops. What's your position on that? Candidate A. Why? Well, I'm getting you know da 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 da. Well, let's talk about mm-hmm. history here for a minute right. on yeah. Afghanistan. How mm-hmm. we got there? Well, and then they and they would talk to each other and talk to me and talk you know to the moderator. It would be a a full discussion. Well, you said then it would be open. Well, you but you said such and such. You could do that kind of thing in that kind of format. Mm-hmm. You could say yeah, but you didn't. You know, we could go. You were. What did you mean when you said you know a little more of a of a whatever? And so okay now. Uh, enough of that. Let's go to um, uh, what about, about Libya. Uh, what, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and 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 do the same thing. Do it by, by subject matter, and uh, make sure that everybody understands the context and everybody understands how each candidate feels about it, and they, and not be restricted to a, a particular time to talk about Libya. In other words, you might right. say, "Well, five minutes, we got it," right. uh, but it may take twelve. So for either way. You can do it that way, and uh, it's hard work. It's hard work. It'd be hard work for a moderator, right, but it'd be the very, best format. You know, by the time they get to these debates, as you point out, they don't like each other very much. They've gone through an entire campaign of trying to discredit each other on policy and maybe in other areas. So when you ask them to engage, as you did with Obama and McCain, you saw that McCain wouldn't talk to him. So is that engagement? Uh, Easy. I mean, really, at this point, these are people who do not like each other. That's right. And, you know, uh, Gloria hadn't thought about it, but that may be exactly what the problem was. Yeah. That, uh, that uh, uh, a lot of it, that McCain has just had it uh, with uh, Obama and his people have said some things about him and he was tired of it by, and, uh, and he just uh, didn't feel like uh, having a, a quote, Civilized exchange. And that's authentic. That yeah. was real. Yeah, yeah. So you saw the real. That, you know, they could, <laughs> that was not canned. No. Yeah, and uh, clearly, and and you look at it from Obama, what we know about him since he's been president, that was the real Barack Obama on the stage too. Exactly. I mean that 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 manner that he demonstrated in that first debate is the manner he's demonstrating. He's been demonstrating since as president of the United States. So the the it, it the that's the other thing that we all have to keep in mind, and I remind people all the time, 
there are very few accidents that become candidate candidates for president of the United States. These people have been through a, 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 a meat grinders and mix masters and they've been pummeled and they've been, you know, called every name in the book and they've been accused of everything and they've had people yelling at them and they've had all kinds of information right. and all this and they have been tested and, and tested and tested and tested. And by the time they get on a stage before 100 million people in one of these debates, this is not the first time they've done that. It's just the most important time, but it. Uh, but they are they 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 know from where they came, and uh, most of the candidate, most of the public are already knows are, knows those people too pretty well. By so that. you know, on the one hand, they're being overprepped by their consultants and their advisors. On the other hand, they're being told just be yourself. Yeah, just be yourself. Just yeah. just be who you are. Do you have you sensed the nervousness? Oh uh, sure. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, it, it, in every one of these, uh, you, it, you can you can smell it really? uh, from day one, and it, it's like a. I mean, I have the same feeling with a debate. I mean, I'm I'm nervous when I begin. You and are. It, but I have to once I get into it, and you can tell when the candidates get into it. But for them, they they're never. It's never over for them until it's over. They're right. all. The next question could be one that they may not have thought completely about there may be something there that they so they can't ever ever no there's no cruising allowed any for 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 any candidate but the and the 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 nervousness knowing that like looking at your watch or seeing some one oh, the 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 best example editorially was uh, Gerald Ford when sure. you know in that debate with uh, Jimmy Carter when he he said uh, Eastern Europe is not dominated by um, the Soviet so, Union and uh his head was handed to him because it was, uh, and he. I asked him about that. He said, "Well, here's what I meant. I didn't say it right, and uh, but I. Here again, he he wasn't. He understood why everybody jumped him, and they jumped him badly, and it hurt him terribly. And he was already behind in the polls, so and this hurt him uh, made made it made it even worse. But but it's it's the those examples are the ones that every candidate knows about." And they want to make sure that that thing that doesn't happen to them, and that makes them very cautious, and it makes their their consultants very cautious. So, what do you do? We've got a couple minutes yeah. left. And what do you do when it's over, and suddenly the reviews are in? Not only the candidates, but also the moderator. I mean, you've spent so much time preparing for this, and suddenly people are saying, you know, why did he ask that question, or why did he ask this question, or? Well, I. Uh, uh, it's exhilarating when it's over, yeah. and you, I mean, it, with all the strain and all of that, it's always for me. I've always felt good about it. That it that 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 it, not always, but usually I felt really good about it. But then when the reviews come, somebody beats, hammers me and says, you know, as I know that's happened to me several times. It. Uh, I wish I could say to you that oh, I don't mind criticism. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just like everybody else, you know. Sure. I, I I don't handle criticism well, and um, uh, but I've also realized, hey, look, if I can't handle criticism, then I shouldn't be uh, moderating presidential debates, or I sure, or it shouldn't even be on television. That goes with the territory and uh, public reaction, and uh, and it's impossible to. Uh, Please everybody, and if you start thinking about pleasing everybody, then you will please nobody. And uh, if I feel I'm so I'm so cocky now, not cocky is not the word. I've been doing this so long right. that somebody criticizes me for something, and I don't think that criticism is justified. I don't worry about it. I mean, I really, I really, nobody has to tell me when I've screwed up. I know when I've screwed up, and uh, that's that comes with uh, doing this a long time. So, what about the next debates? Well, uh, they're they're going to be great. I'm not going to participate in them. You're going to be done, watching them on TV. I'll be, oh, you bet! I'll be watching <laughs> them, and uh, I will be I'll be willing to help anybody I possibly can to make a, to do anything I possibly can to help them um, uh, because they're critical and uh, to the election process. And uh, but I, that that I will be there to help uh, as an observer. And uh, watching it in front of the TV set will be a little less nerve-wracking, one would assume. Yes, yes ma'am. Yes, <laughs> than ma being there. Well, thank you so much, Jim Lehrer. This is a fabulous book. I really enjoyed it. Not just because I'm a political junkie, but there's a lot of interesting history oh, in here, you, and it's Gloria. very important. Joy Tension Darkness. City by Jim Lehrer. 
my view from the middle seat. You should have said middle hot seat. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Jim. Thank you, Gloria. That was Afterwards, Book TV's signature program in which authors of the latest nonfiction books are interviewed by journalists, public policymakers, legislators, and others familiar with their material. Afterwards airs every weekend on Book TV at 10 p.m. on Saturday, 12 and 9 p.m. on Sunday, and 12 a.m. on Monday. You can also watch Afterwards online. Go to booktv.org and click on Afterwards in the Book TV series and topics list on the upper right side of the page.